It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. Normally, when photographers taking pictures of people tell them to say cheese, they want them to smile for the camera. But if you tell my guest to say cheese, well, she'll start making it and selling it. She's cheese professional Diana Breyer, owner and director of cheese for Valley Cheese and Wine, Las Vegas's longest-running cheese and wine store, and one of only 45 certified cheese sensory evaluators in the United States. For everything about Diana Breyer, go to valleycheeseandwine.com, and you can follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Valley Cheese and Wine. Diana, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ira. I'm super happy to be here. Well, here's the major question we all have. What is a cheese sensory evaluator? <laughs> you know, a lot of people aren't really familiar with the fact that cheese professionals can be such a high level. But if you think about the fact that you're aware that a master sommelier of wine exists, it sort of equates to that. A certified cheese sensory evaluator goes through a rigorous exam process whereby they're evaluating cheeses based on appearance attributes and defects, aroma attributes and defects, texture attributes and defects, and flavor attributes and defects, which, if you think about it, is very similar to how we evaluate wine. So really, there's a, there's a huge sort of synergistic energy between what we do with what sommeliers do. And that designation, being a certified cheese sensory evaluator, that was from the American Cheese Society? That is the American Cheese Society, which is considered like the foremost sort of governing body of cheese education, cheese professionals, and they also host the, you know, American Cheese Society Cheese Awards. So there is a lot of really good work that's being done by the ACS. Well, how did you get into the business of cheese? Because clearly you were not, you were not in cheese initially. You were in a whole right. other world. How did that happen for you? <laughs> You know, cheese is an interesting story with me. Um, I always say that cheese found me rather than I found it. I, long story short, I went to college for many years because I just struggled between picking left brain versus right brain. I always felt like neither of them really completely fulfilled who I was. Oh, which one's the, which, the right brain is the creative side, right? Correct. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Right brain is creative. Left brain is, you know. Analytical. analytical. And that's what you were. You were a financial analyst. I was doing financial analytics and teaching dance on the side, and then I had a medical emergency that I had to have open-heart surgery for, and it briefly actually took my life for just a split second. And when I came back from that, there was just this complete overhaul of the self, and I really realized, like, it's time to branch out and not settle anymore. And I just applied it to Whole Foods because my mother's side of the family is very Italian, so I've always understood food to be a love language. But then they put me in a Cheese 101 class after asking if I was interested in cheese. And I'm like, who's not interested in cheese, right? <laughs> yeah, cheese is great. Right. Except for, so, okay, wait a minute, except for Limburger. Well, I mean, that's, opinion, that's pretty subjective. Yes, that's I, pretty advanced. I know, I know. Something <laughs> smells here and it's not me. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And sometimes it's good, good bacteria. Um, but no, so I, I went into this first class and it was taught by a certified cheese professional. And immediately it was like every single cylinder of my brain, if you will, was just firing. And I, I felt like I had finally found my purpose in the world. And 
I have been with it now almost eight years, and every time I choose to take a huge step with cheese, it seems to cheese me back. So we've got a very synergistic and, and really happy relationship. And what's interesting, too, is you combine cheese, and you mentioned earlier wine, you combine cheese and wine, so there is obviously a synergistic relationship between the two. Were you surprised to find a, such a pent-up demand for artisan cheese in Las Vegas? Yes and no, Ira. I mean, really, when you, when you think about Las Vegas or you think about classic Las Vegas, you think that this is like more of a food cost town. You know, you used to come here for $7.99 steak and eggs. But there's really been a food revolution that's happening, especially amongst local chefs who are opening their own projects in the Arts District and Summerlin and all over the Valley, really, who have this passion project to do more of these farm-to-table, sustainable living, really traceability of the food. And that's exactly where artisan cheese fits in. So I actually feel like this is the right place at the right time to introduce the the retail, you know, market of the discerning customers who consider themselves foodies to the world of artisan cheeses. Do you also supply restaurants or is it strictly retail? I work, I collaborate with different restaurants just based on what their needs are from me. So I can consult, I can help provide some cheese if needed, but I don't, I'm not a distributor. So right, right. mostly no, focused on customers. Exactly. What were you surprised about when you first started this enterprise eight years ago in terms of the type of cheeses that people would be interested in sampling? You know, I always say that cheese is like a representation of how it's been treated in its life, just the same as us as humans. And I've, I've just found it so interesting what a massive diversity of of desire and complexity of flavor that people are attracted to. There really is something for everyone in cheese and everyone has different, you know, specifications and different preferences. And that's very inclusive in it from a cheese perspective. They're really, we can match just about whatever you want. (laughs) Now here's a question because you obviously had a life threatening experience prior to converting to cheese. I assume eating too much cheese would also not necessarily be healthy. Well, that's actually considered like, you know, one of the one of the great sort of cheese myths that needs to be debunked. You know, if you take about 150 grams of a hard-aged cheese like a Parmigiano-Reggiano and compare it to an egg, cheese has twice as much protein and half the cholesterol. So it really is, you need to eat the good cheese, and just like anything else, you can enjoy it in moderation. Sure. I'm a confirmed and registered chocoholic, so I know that you have to do it in moderation. So. <laughs> I want to see that card. <laughs> yeah, I have it here. I'll, when I come by the shop, I'll show it to you. But, okay, now, there's an, wait a minute. Here's another, besides cheese and wine, chocolate. Add that to the list, and I'll be there every day. We do carry chocolate, actually. Oh, there you go. Some, <laughs> I used to make cheese in Park City, Utah for Deer Valley Resort. It was the first place I learned to make cheese. And I lived in a cabin in the woods at the time. So when I would get stuck and I couldn't get home or couldn't get to work, I would always go to the Ritual Chocolate Cafe, which was right there in Park City, and have a cup of hot cocoa. And actually now I'm one of the only people in Nevada, if not the only person that carries Ritual Chocolate because they're part of my story. So I try to carry a lot of things that are part of my cheesemaking journey or story. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. When you became certified by the American Cheese Society, how long did that take? for you to get certified. Was it in-person classes, online classes? How did that work? Really, the only prerequisite for taking these exams is that you've been present in a cheese environment for at least two years. Well, I've been, present, about... I've been present in many cheesy environments. I don't know if that qualifies <laughs> me, but I just thought I... I think we all... <laughs> yeah, what... I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but I had to for the sake of a cheap joke. So there you go. Always go for the joke. Exactly. <laughs> I'm good with it. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> no, you know, honestly, I, I knew that I wanted to be a certified cheese professional first. 
the Certified Cheese Sensory Evaluator exam was something that's relatively new. It's only about four years old, and it's lost two years to the pandemic because it has to be an in-person exam. So I was lucky enough to take it in 2019, and I took it first because it is the hardest one to pass. It has the lowest pass rate. You know, cheese celebrities have actually not passed that exam. So it really is very, it, it was the most daunting to me, so I wanted to get it done first. And then I became a certified cheese professional in 2020. So is the idea that by smelling, I guess, smelling the cheese, you're able to tell, number one, the type of cheese it is, and number two, whether it's good or bad or spoiled or not? Yeah, I mean, we, we evaluate a few different aspects of the cheese. So there's the appearance, aroma, texture, and flavor. And those things combined can help me figure out, you know, what type of cheese it is, where it's from, what the overtones and undertones are. I can tell you if the girls were in t- out to pasture or in the milking barn. You know, I can sort of tell you the seasonality of the milk and sometimes even the breed huh. based on just eating the cheese. Well, I referenced in the introduction about you making cheese, and I don't know if that's totally true. I was taking a dramatic license but or comedic license, but do you sometimes make your own cheese? Or are you importing artisan cheese from different sources, or is it a combination of the two? combination of the two. So I'm not currently making cheese, although it is in my, like, within my couple year plan. I am an artisan cheesemaker. I do still identify as an artisan cheesemaker. It is something that's very near and dear to my heart. There is nothing quite like a make procedure. My favorite to make is Breeze, but I actually supervised the team at the world-famous Rogue Creamery for a couple of years, and I was the supervisor when they made the batch of cheese that won Best Cheese in the World. So it was a huge a huge win for American artisan cheeses, a huge win for Oregon cheese, and a huge win for, you know, our team. But yeah, so I've I've made the cheese, I've aged the cheese, which is called affinage. So I'm what's called an affineur, somebody who can adjust time, temperature, humidity, and airflow of a cheese while it's aging to sort of cultivate the proper microflora that you want to attach itself to the cheese to give you that desired end result. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of marriage of art and science between what I do. Absolutely. I want to put a little pressure on you to identify from your opinion, and that's just your opinion, your favorite cheese. It's kind of like asking a parent to pick a favorite child. I know, I know, and that's why I did, and that's why I did it. <laughs> I not, know, you really are trying to put me on the spot, aren't you? I'm not um, only humorous, I mean, yes, of course. <laughs> I think that it will, always, it will always fall into the family of Bloomy Rhines, Soft Ripens, the Breeze of the world. To me, they are my favorite, not just to make, but also to take care of while they're aging. They really do need you every day. And also, they go through a continuous life cycle even after they're out of their ideal ripening environment. So sometimes you'll taste debris, and it tastes, you know, beautifully supple and buttery and creamy. And then maybe two weeks from then, it'll give you more mushroomy vegetal tones. And that butter has turned to cultured cream and a little bit of like tanginess. And that's just the natural life cycle of a brie. And I tend to appreciate things like that. From what you're saying, it sounds like cheese is a living organism, even when you buy it at the store. Absolutely. Yep. And here's something that people I don't think know, and I don't know that you would approve of this, but I do know you can do it, is if you buy a lot of cheese and you find you're not going to have time to eat it all, you can freeze it. You know, some cheese is a little more like durable and can withstand freezing, but you do want to make sure that you get all of the air out of it. You want to make sure that it's kind of like an already like a harder aged cheese that's gone through some enzymatic activity to sort of stabilize the structure to give you a little bit more durability when it comes to those extreme temperatures. But being something that's alive, it's the same sort of concept as as freezing bread, if you will. You know, there's a lot of like active things going on. And so you want to make sure that you're 
doing it right. You know, don't just throw. I don't ever throw like shredded cheese in a freezer. It's, no, I, I, I will plead not guilty on that as well. I do basically <laughs> <laughs> stick cheese or string cheese and usually the hard cheddar blocks I'll throw in. If I yeah, and you know, sometimes that's totally okay. You just want to make sure you, you get rid of some air in there too. So in that case, I'm totally pro-backpacking um, just for freezing purposes. <laughs> now, <laughs> half my audience will be upset with me and half will agree with me. And I, I love cheese, but I just cannot handle blue cheese. And sometimes people will put it in a salad, they won't tell me, and I can spot it in two seconds and I can't eat the salad. What is it about the sensory aspect of blue cheese or Roford that just for some people, including me, just doesn't work. You know, penicillium roqueforti and penicillium glaucoma. Sure, say that three times real fast. Yeah, right. (laughs) Penicillium roqueforti, penicillium glaucoma. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They're two of the main oxygen-seeking blue molds that are used, and they're noted to be very, like, salty and very sort of in-your-face And there are cheeses in the world that are just designed to be like that. And not every cheese works for every person, but we do have what I call training wheel cheeses. Um, (laughs) I like that term. (laughs) You know, you put training wheels on your palates. People sometimes feel the same way about brie. We also have a very strong sort of olfactory memory. So if you've ever been around somebody who really liked a just really pungent blue cheese and let it sit on the counter and they would just eat it like that and you were very young, that may be the memory that formed of your association with blues, or in my case, association with breeze. When I was young, I know my sister really loved eating breeze when they were ammoniated and ripe. And for me, that was a little tough to introduce my palate to. But if you take it a few steps back, there are representations of every classification of cheese that are relatively approachable. For example, we have a gorgonzola dolce and a mascarpone that are layered together that create this beautiful creaminess with just a hint of salt. And when you put it with a granular dark chocolate, it's just an expressive dance of flavor on the palate, and you wouldn't really liken it to a typical blue. So there's ways to do it and ways to not do it, you know? Sure. He's a good monger for that. Along those lines, would you recommend that when most of us keep cheese in the refrigerator, for example, we take it out, should it be set to room temperature before eating cheese, or is it okay to consume cheese cold? Depends on your level of patience, but as a cheese maker, <laughs> I definitely understand wanting to tear into a cheese right when you get home, so no judgment there. But as a cheese maker, we do always intend our cheeses to be enjoyed at room temperature. Yeah, I was thinking even more for a barbecue situation where you take the slice of cheese, put it on top of the hamburger, and it's almost out of the refrigerator, and you put it on, and it sort of melts, so you get it, at least it's warm. Sure. Yeah. In that sense. Are there any unusual shapes that cheese comes in besides the omnipotent wheel? Sure. Yeah. We've got cheeses that come in. I have a cheese right now called Comeback Cow that's like a a flower shape. We have your truncated pyramids that are rumored to be from the Napoleon era of France. He didn't like the top of the pyramid, so he would cut it off with his sword, and they've been making truncated pyramid cheeses ever since. We've got, you know, cheeses that just come in big square. Like we have a blue cheese that comes in a big block that just looks like a big rustic brick. And when you jump into it, it's just one of the most beautiful blues we've got. But they, you know, all sizes, all shapes. So is that based on the cheese maker and the containers that they use to form the cheese? 
Sure. So there's a little bit of tradition and a little bit of innovation there. So when you're making feta, typically you're going to make it into a huge rectangle and then it'll get cut into smaller rectangles. And it actually has to do with the size of the form or the mold that we use, which is what we put the curds into. So depending on what cheese we're making, you want a certain amount of drainage to escape from those molds that you're putting your curds into. So those molds and forms are designed specifically for an ideal shape and an ideal drainage for the type of cheese that you're making. So it's not always just up to the cheesemaker. It also is up to the cheese. <laughs> right, exactly. They're in, <laughs> let's face it, the cheese is in charge. So Always. <laughs> yes. You mentioned another cheese, and I, I hate to add this to my list of cannot eat, is feta. I just I can't handle that as well. So maybe there's something wrong with me. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with you, but... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's completely subjective. So, honestly, feta can be, can be represented in a myriad of ways, too. You've got cow's milk feta that's most often seen domestically and in your grocery stores. It's a little bit dry and doesn't have a lot of, like, really, you know, out there flavor. It's just sort of meant to be, you know, a cheese that's a little bit salty that you top your salads with. And then there's like Bulgarian sheep milk feta, which is incredibly buttery and incredibly salty and a little bit savory and stored in brine. And so you get a different experience every time you eat feta based on where it's from and what it's doing. So there's probably a feta out there for you. <laughs> Although my favorite is a mix of goat and sheep. I may have to come by and try one that you would recommend, so that may Love be the it. way to do it. Okay, <laughs> it's time to put you between the rock and the hard place again. And, sure. <laughs> and because most, I assume that most of your artisan cheeses are from nearby or at least within the United States, how do you compare Italian cheeses with American cheeses? Are they better than American cheeses or just different, or how do you see it? So I really don't, I don't put things into superlatives that way when it comes to cheese. So with domestic cheese, I always liken it to domestic wine as well. You know, the old world, France, Italy, Spain, Portugal, you know, those places have been making cheese far beyond our ancestry. And so there is a certain sort of historical rooting and human ingenuity involved in the making and the inception of those cheeses in general. As New World Cheese Wakers, we, we pay homage to that while still sort of putting our own spin on things. A, because there are government protections afforded to some of these names. You can't make Gruyere in, in the United States. You can't make Parmigiano-Reggiano. You can make a Parmesan and you can make a Gruyere style. But those cheeses specifically are protected so that they, they keep what's so special about them intact. Now, in the New World, in America and other places, New Zealand, Australia, that are making cheese, you really just want to, to give a nod to how things used to be and put your own spin on it because there are just so many different, you know, native microflora based on where you are, so many different representations of terroir, so many different animal breeds that span the globe. So we really just need to not compare, you know, one cheese to another, but recognize that each cheese is unique and special in its own sort of very valid way. Hmm. You know, in the last 10, 20, 30 years, there's been a wine explosion, not only in the United States, but certainly in Las Vegas. Would you say the same is true of cheese? I think the pandemic really highlighted a cheese explosion. Everybody calls everything charcuterie now, which is, you know, my job to educate that charcuterie actually just means meats. But 
there was a huge explosion during lockdown in 2020 where people started making their own cheese and charcuterie boards and posting them all over Instagram. And it really gained a lot of momentum and popularity. And it helped us sort of, it helped sort of float us through a time that was very uncertain, both as a new business owner and in the world in general. So I do think that cheese has its, has its place in the world and is definitely sort of making a definitive appearance because it did gain so much attention as something that is just not only beautiful, but really, really unique and fun. When you opened up Valley Cheese and Wine, were you surprised at the reaction of people coming from all over? And I assume you even get visitors to Las Vegas from other states and countries as well. All the time. I'm lucky enough to to be relatively well-known in the cheese industry. And um, if you Google, you know, a wine and cheese shop in Las Vegas, I should pop up and people find I'm not very often seen in in the cheese professional world, that you get a cheese maker, an affineur, a certified cheese professional, a certified cheese sensory evaluator, and somebody who's studying to be a sommelier. It's very rare. So that's something that draws people in anyway, but then they come in and they realize that we've got this beautiful environment that's run by my mom and dad and me, and this wonderful staff who is not only well-educated, but friendly and just welcoming. And I always like to say, this is a place for exclusive products in an inclusive environment. Now, your mom and dad would never forgive me if I didn't request you to give us their names. <laughs> sure. <laughs> my mom's name is Terry, and my dad's name is Burgess. Excellent. How much do you interact with customers that come in? In other words, do you get the sense of what they're looking for in terms of, for example, somebody comes in, they want a certain type of experience from cheese, and based on what they tell you, you can recommend not only, obviously, the type of cheese, but even some wine. Absolutely. That's one of the things that we sort of pride ourselves on. That's what sets us apart in the Valley is that we do have these extremely trained professionals in cheese. So both of the women who work in the deli that are not me have trained from day one in cheese under me, which means that they represent cheese the way that I would choose to. And that's really important because there's just a different sort of relationship that I have with cheese than maybe some others do. And I'm, it's not meant to demean anyone else. It's just I represent it in a way that is, that's just very different. So we really do try to nail down your specificities, your preferences, any of your dietary restrictions. There are some people who are a little bit sensitive to cow's milk, and we can help them explain why that is. And we'll introduce them into cheeses of every classification, of every milk type. We've got donkey milk. We've got buffalo milk. We really want to make sure that that what you're getting from us is exactly what, you, not even what you hoped for, but what you never knew you needed. And when people come in and try different types of cheeses, are they surprised at the variety of cheeses that you have? Always. I, I really am aggressive about my pursuit of cheese. I do direct import sometimes. I take cheese from all over the world. I take some very rare and hard-to-find cheeses. So people are often surprised because this has been, the shop has been around for so long and you know, people haven't really come back for the new iteration of ownership. We've only been around about a year uh, under my ownership. So people are still kind of learning and they're coming in and they're, it's either an entirely new experience to them or entirely different than what they remember the shop to be because the deli program has just really ramped up in a way that is unparalleled in the Las Vegas Valley. And you have programs for customers as well, don't you? Absolutely. We do happy hours. We do. I teach classes. We teach both classes on both cheese and wine. We've always got a wine machine open. We're always happy to have you taste cheeses before you buy anything. We really want to make sure that your experience is exactly what you want of it. We always say it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure around here. 
Now, based on my earlier declaration of being a chocoholic, do you have a way that you can combine cheese and chocolate on the same platter? Oh, we do it all the time. Excellent. Yeah. So I'm not a, I'm not too weird. Okay, that's good. <laughs> one of my favorite pairings is cheese and chocolate, and often one that's underrepresented in the market, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I would think so. Is there a cheese that comes along every so often that's totally new and that, again, not old world, as you mentioned earlier, but new world, is there a cheese that has come along that surprises you that this came out of nowhere and all of a sudden it tastes very nice? Yeah, I mean, shame on me, but I just recently discovered Thomas Tome, which is from Sweetgrass Dairy in Georgia. And this is actually a tome style that is just so beautiful and grassy with a natural rind that is so widely diverse with its flavor profile that it can match with just about any wine. And I discovered it while I was on vacation at Hermosa Beach, California, and I went to a little local cheese shop called Cultured Slice, and they had it. And I was like, what is this cheese? I've never heard of it. And I tried it. I've been obsessed with it since, and I found it and brought it into my shop, and it's here now. See, it's never too late to learn something new. Never. This this industry is always evolving. You have cheesemakers that are coming up at the age of like 13, 14 years old. There's a cheesemaker from Central Coast Creamery. His daughter, uh, his cheesemaker's name is Reggie. His daughter actually at 14 decided that she wanted her own line of cheeses, started making cheeses, and started winning awards like the very same or very next year at the American Cheese Society. She is a prodigy of cheesemaking, and now we're carrying some of her cheeses too. So really just paying attention to what's new and what's changing in the environment and what's good and what's happening across the pond too. It's just as important to keep a relevance to the old world as it is to educate people about what the new world cheesemakers can do. Now that you're a certified cheese sensory evaluator, is there another level to go to after that one? And are you interested in pursuing that? I will always be interested in pursuing the next thing to do. There are a lot of like ways to certify as a cheese professional. The American Cheese Society is considered like the foremost, so I'm a certified cheese professional, certified cheese sensory evaluator. I've heard some rumors about a certified cheese maker exam, although that would be probably a couple years down the line even to roll out for them, and I'm not sure what that would look like because every cheese maker sort of does something different. But I do. I did just recently hear about an international certification that can be obtained in the UK, and I can do it online. So after I finish my wine study, which I'm currently doing, then I'm hoping to certify internationally as a cheesemonger as well. Excellent. Last question. I think the most important, especially for someone who works in a cheese shop all the time, how do you get the smell off your hands when it's time to go home? Why would you assume I want to get the smell? (laughs) Well, perhaps. (laughs) Let me rephrase that question, Your Honor. Uh, (laughs) How does one get that smell of cheese off their hands when they want to go and do something else? (laughs) You know, I do actually. uh, Shame on me for living in the desert and showering twice a day, but I do it anyway. Um, (laughs) So before work, after work, I always make sure that we're in a sanitary, hygienic environment and that I don't take anything home with me and nothing from my home comes in to work with me. So for somebody that wants to just get cheese off their hands, soap and water is fine? Soap and water is fine, absolutely. And I always recommend using an unscented soap, especially if you're going to taste more cheese. One of the things that happened to me before my certified cheese sensory evaluator exam was I went to the bathroom and I washed my hands and there, the soap was scented. And I freaked out because all of the cheese was going to smell like, you know, sweet pea and rose petals. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> so what did you do? How did you get that off? And you, you found um, I actually found like a, a water kettle that you could like boil water in. And I waited until the water was like bearable enough to just like, I just rinsed with hot water for as long as I could until I couldn't bear it anymore. And I had no sort of smells that were lingering on my hand. 
Well, it's a cheesy way to end it, but thank you. (laughs) My guest has been cheese professional, Diana Breyer, and she is owner and director of cheese for Valley Cheese and Wine, Las Vegas' longest running cheese and wine store. She's one of only 45 certified cheese sensory evaluators in the United States. For everything about Diana Breyer, go to valleycheeseandwine.com and you can follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Valley Cheese and Wine. Diana, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Ira. I'm super stoked to be here. Thanks. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Happy.